Life Church podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. All right. Thank you for the prayer, everybody. You know I need it. Um, as Pastor Bill said, we are jumping into a brand new series today. If you've been with us in 2012, we are in the midst of a year of equipping. We started off with Equip to Pray, went into Equip to Share Your Faith, Equip to Evangelize. And now we're going to be talking about uh, being equipped to serve. And uh, I wanted to start by just telling you a couple things that this series is not going to be and a couple things that this series is going to be so that you'll know a little bit about where we're going. Um, first and foremost, this series is not going to be about making you nicer, cuter, um, more moral uh, people by doing a couple more acts of service. Um, this is, that's not what this is about at all. If you do decide to do a couple more things of service in your life, whether that be at your jobs or your families or in your communities, and you do that apart from the Holy Spirit and Christ in you, you'll just become more self-righteous, and our whole uh, series, the whole point of this thing will be defeated. All right, so this is not about that. It's also, number two, not about an attempt to bolster the ministries of Life Church, although that could be a nice byproduct. And we need everybody at Life Church to accomplish the great commission of telling everybody in this area the gospel and seeing people brought to Christ and seeing them discipled. We need everybody that takes everybody. But that's first and foremost not the point of this series. This series is all about Jesus. It's all about becoming like Him. It's all about looking to Him as our example, being in Him by the power of His Holy Spirit moving towards humility and servanthood. It's all about you forming a new identity in Christ and a new identity as a servant in Him. It's not about behavior modification primarily. Like I said, if you just try to change your behavior, you've missed the point here. It's about being in Christ and taking the form of a servant as Jesus did. And lastly, this series is about realizing that we're never going to do this perfectly, right? I mean, how many of you would say you're the perfect humble servant here today? I hope not. This message is going to be very tough for you if you're in that spot, okay? Um, it's been a tough week for me, I'll be honest, a, a week of examination, and, and uh, I pray that this will be for you too. We're never going to do this perfectly, but this series is about committing to a lifestyle by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit to constantly be repenting of our pride and selfishness and constantly be moving towards Jesus, humility, and servanthood. And so that's what we're saying here, that we're proud people who, by the grace of God, are moving towards Jesus in humility. And we need it, all of us, to become servants. Uh, I want to just deal with one big question today. As I said, I I hope that this is an examination kind of a Sunday um, as we start this thing, that this would just be a day where you ask the Holy Spirit, search me. Um, And I've done that this week, and it's been miserable, but good. Uh, The big question is, will you follow the God who served? I think that's the big question that we have to ask ourselves today, along with several other questions um, in the midst of this talk. So let me pray and just ask the Holy Spirit that he would examine us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I need you today. You know that. I struggle with pride and selfishness so much myself that it feels hypocritical for me to talk about this. But we need you to examine us. We need you to come in and show us the dark places of our hearts that need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need you to show us the places where we have dug our heels in and refused to become more like you. We need you to soften us with hard words today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
One of the coolest things about Jesus, I think, and there are numerous things that I love about Jesus, but one of the coolest things is that he never tells us to do something that he didn't do himself and to the utmost degree. I mean, don't you guys love that about Jesus? I love that about him, except for repentance, of course. He tells us to repent, and he never had to because he was perfect. But Jesus calls us to love. And then he comes and he demonstrates the greatest form of love ever. Jesus tells us to give. And Jesus comes and gives everything. He gave up everything, his riches, his throne, his glory, his honor, and eventually his life for us. Jesus tells us to forgive. And on the cross, we read in the Bible that it says, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, even in the midst of his agony, while suffering for our sins. Jesus tells us to go and share the good news, and Jesus left his Father's home in heaven, and he became the good news for us. Jesus tells us to serve, and in Matthew we read that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that about Jesus. He's so legit, he's so real. He's not hypocritical like us. And as much as I love and admire and appreciate Jesus, I still, I don't know about you, I really battle with this servanthood thing. Because oftentimes I find that I'm the opposite of that. I'm very prideful and very selfish and very self-centered and self-focused. And that kills my ability to be a servant. How many of you would say that here today? That one of your big struggles in life is being proud having to be above other people, and being selfish, right? If you're sitting there today and you say, Pastor Dave, you know, maybe I'll get out my iPhone and do something else because that's not really a struggle for me, you just failed the first quiz. You are the most prideful and the most selfish of anybody in here, so we're going to pray for you after. Pride is a struggle for all of us. We all struggle in this area, and the most prideful people are the people that say, I have no issues with pride and selfishness, Okay? We all need Jesus. We all need His Holy Spirit to help us in this area. And so here's where I want to take us today. I want to take us not to a place of increasing morality where you just try in your own flesh to become better. But I want to take us to a place where we look at the God who served, Jesus, and we try to bend our lives around Him. We ask for the power of His Holy Spirit to come in and do a miracle to move us from this place of pride and selfishness where we move to look at Jesus becoming humble servants. And the Bible talks about Jesus as servant in many places. Isaiah chapters 40 through chapter 66 is all about Jesus as our suffering servant, as the humble suffering servant. And for the sake of time today, we won't walk through all 26 chapters. We'll just go through Philippians, okay? Because Paul says some similar words in Philippians chapter 2. So I pray that you have your Bibles here today. And if you'd open with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're always going to study the Bible every day in church on Sunday and in our life groups. And this is where we see Jesus as the servant, as the model for whom we are to follow into servanthood. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 1. And we're going to walk through eight verses here and just be in this text the whole time. The Apostle Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. 
Okay, so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, which was a little coastal town in what is modern-day Greece. It was a very diverse city, and he loved this church at Philippi. There was no um, evidence that they were having struggles with unity or division, but he writes them this letter to encourage them to keep unity, and he warns them against some things that are going to destroy unity, uh, namely pride and selfishness and those kinds of things. And so we should also heed that as, as life church. That one thing that will always bring unity to the church is selfless, humble servanthood. It'll always add unity to the church. And something that's always going to destroy unity in our church is pride and selfishness. All right, so Paul's going to give us some really hard words here uh, that are going to uh, warn these people at Philippi and should warn us today about our lives and about what he wants uh, us to do in following Jesus, this God who served. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit to tenderize our hearts here by some hard words. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, And we don't use the words vain conceit very often, um, but let's just insert pride there because that's basically what it means. Do nothing out of selfishness or pride. That's kind of a broad sweeping category, isn't it? What does nothing cover? That covers everything. Do nothing in your life out of selfishness or pride. We could just stop there, go home, and work on this the rest of our lives and never accomplish it. Do nothing out of selfishness or pride. That means don't drive your car selfishly or pridefully. That means don't operate in your marriage out of selfishness or pride. That means you can't operate in the church out of selfishness or pride or at your job or in your class, or with your friends. Do nothing out of selfishness or pride. Let's unpack these two things a little bit. Because I think these are important things for us to examine ourselves in. And we know we all struggle with them to some degree. C.S. Lewis says that pride is one vice that no man will ever be free of. And I think that's sadly true. Every year that I'm walking with Christ, I recognize more species of pride existing in me. So let's look at selfishness and pride here. Selfishness, Paul lumps selfishness with pride because selfishness stems from pride. And basically, all selfishness says is I'm the most important person in the world. Right? At its base, it just says I'm more important than you. And selfishness is just basically walking around with a mirror in front of you, only being able to see your own stuff, your own issues, your own cares, your own concerns, your own wants, your own hopes, your own dreams. That's all it is. And it makes it impossible to serve because you just can't see other people. You're so busy looking at yourself. And a lot of us even take this into our faith life with Jesus, with God. We say, God loves me, which He does. God uh, created me for uh, me. God exists for me, which He doesn't. And God, He sent His own Son for me. He died on the cross specifically for me. God wrote His Bible specifically to me. I've crossed out all the places where it says you and have inserted my name there because it's all about me. And we become this really, really selfish, self-centered, self-focused people. And Paul here is warning us against selfishness because selfishness makes it impossible to serve. The most selfish time in my life was before I really turned it over to Christ and I was single. So you single people, watch out. Selfishness is the biggest trap for you because you can be more selfish 
right? It doesn't mean that married people with children aren't selfish, because we are. We really struggle with that as we go along. It's just that you have married people with children have more opportunity for that to be beaten out of them over time, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You've got to wake up in the middle of the night and stuff like that. But when I was single, I could spend, and this is how I think you really track how selfish you are. Look at where your wallet goes. Track your spending. Where do you spend your time, your money, your energy? When I was single, I fished like three or four nights a week. I loved it. I loved it, but I was so selfish. I literally planned my week around when the walleyes would be biting. What nights would be the best? I mean, it's terrible, but I was just so self-centered and so selfish. Where I spent my money, it was mostly spent around me. Where I spent my energy, I'd give some energy here and there, but most of all, I spent energy on doing things that I wanted to do. Where are you spending your time, your talent, your treasures today? How are you selfish? How much are you worrying about you, thinking about you, obsessing about you? How selfish are you today? Then Paul moves to what C.S. Lewis calls the great sin. He devotes a whole chapter to this. All of you should read Mere Christianity, the chapter on pride. It's absolutely fabulous. And I reread it again today, and C.S. Lewis is just so witty and so funny, but it's just right on. He says, pride is the essential vice, the utmost evil. It's pride that leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. You say, whoa, Lewis, calm down. Calm down. That's a little overboard, don't you think? Don't you think you're getting a little too excited about pride? Well, let's look what God says about it. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Who says that? God says that. I hate pride and arrogance. You know what hate means in the Greek? Hate. He hates it. He just hates it. It just, gets, it just bothers him. It's the anti-God state of mind. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Ooh, easy, Lord. They will not go unpunished. The proud people of heart, people like me and you, will not go unpunished. We need to be forsaking our pride. James chapter 4, verse 6. We know this well. It's also said in 1 Peter. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I believe He opposes the proud because they are adamantly opposed to Him. It's the anti-God state of mind. And pride kills our ability to serve in two ways. The first way is that pride is competitive in nature. It drives us to be above other people all the time and to be better than them. That's what Lewis says. It's always competitive. This is why you can have somebody who's really rich and they're not content with just being wealthy and having good things. They have to be richer than everybody else. A famous rich man once said, when asked, how much money will be enough for you? He said, just one dollar more than everybody else. See, it's not about having wealth necessarily. The wealth is not what makes him proud. It's that he's more wealthy than everybody else. Just like you guys who have good grades. You know, sometimes good grades are not enough. It's that your grades have to be better than everybody else. Or you who have education, it's not enough to just be educated. It's like, you've got to be more educated than everybody else. Or you're just not satisfied. Pride makes it impossible to serve. 
Lewis said, it is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. It's impossible to serve people from that position. You always have to be looking down on them. You always have to be better than everybody else. Who are you having to be better than right now? Who are you having to be above? Who are you elbowing out of the way saying, I want to be above you. I want to look down on you. It makes it impossible to serve other people from that position. Number two, and this is the most scary one, pride makes it impossible to know the God who served. And this is where we find the power to become servants is in Jesus. C.S. Lewis says beautifully, in God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Uh-oh. Going to have a problem. If pride's all about competition and being above other people, in God you like, whoa, I cannot be even close to equal with God in anything. So what's going to happen? One of you is going to have to change. And I'll tell you who isn't changing. (laughs) Who's never changed. Lewis goes on. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Digest those words, friends. If you've got a lot of pride in you today, you don't know God. If you're refusing and you're planting yourself in pride and you're saying, I'm something and God really needs me on his team and I bet God is really glad that he's got me, you need to check your heart because you're probably not worshiping the right God. You're probably not before the God of the ages who is so far above all things that when we look at him, we say, woe is me. Who am I? You should even consider me. Lewis says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It's true. You can't look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I want to be like you. I want to serve, not because it's going to do anything uh, for my righteousness, but because in you I already am. Because I I want to model you. I want to pour my life out for you. You can't look to him. He's got to be below you. You're only looking down on things, people, including God. And it's in knowing God that we find the ability to serve him and others. Pride kills all of that. It's in knowing this Jesus and being connected to him by the power of the Holy Spirit that we find the ability to supernaturally change our prideful, selfish hearts and become humble servants. But pride kills that. We need a miracle of the Holy Spirit. How are you proud today? Who are you always having to be better than? Who's beneath you? What sorts of people are beneath you? Kind of like, I don't really associate with them too much. What are you above doing as far as service goes? What are the things that God would say, hey, I want you to do this, and you say, not me. God, don't you know who I am? That was, maybe that was at the start of when I was a Christian, but now I'm surely above that. What sorts of things are you too good for? Who do you look down on? There's some good news, friends. Paul doesn't leave us there. He says, in humility, ah, there it is, humility. 
after all this talk of pride and selfishness, it's like a breath of fresh air. Humility. Lewis calls this the exact opposite of pride and the center of all Christian morals. The reason why humility is the center of all the things that we believe as Christians is because it's absolutely essential for us to even be saved. If you're not willing to humble yourself, repent of your sin, and turn to trust in Jesus, saying, I need you, I can't do this on my own, you cannot be a Christian. You need humility. The gift of the Holy Spirit to give you humility and the gift of repentance is absolutely necessary to even get saved. It's essential. This is the solution. This is the anecdote to pride. But it's important to realize that we cannot, in our flesh, which would be the the normal Dave solution, all right, now I'm going to go get some humility. I'm going to go be the most humble person ever. Just you watch, God. I'm going to to work at this like, like never before. I'm going to just focus on humility. And one day, everyone will say, Dave Sinkraven, the most humble man that's ever lived. What have I just done? I just became the most prideful, arrogant fool trying to be humble. The most humble people aren't thinking about humility. They're looking to Christ and the needs of others. That's where we start developing humility. Chances are, if you're developing humility, you don't really realize it. You just start caring about Jesus and other people. Lewis talks about this. He says, this is how you'll be able to tell if somebody's really becoming humble or if you meet a humble man or woman. He says, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap. I love his language. Who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That's how you know if you meet somebody who's humble. They just don't have a real need to think about themselves a whole lot at all. That's how you know if you're growing in Christ is the more you stop thinking about yourself. Even in regards to humility. How humble am I? Lord, I want to be more humble. I'm I'm trying to be more humble so that I'll be lifted up and all this stuff. You just, just focus on Jesus. And, and allow him to turn your gaze to other people. The first step in requiring humility is to admit that you struggle with pride. To just say, God, I confess it. Man, this is a struggle for me. Please, help me. Give me the gift of the Holy Spirit to turn me down the path towards servanthood. Turn me down the path towards Jesus. Paul says, rather, in humility, value, in verse 6, or verse 3, I rather, Value or consider others better or above yourself. It's another place that just really gets us. How do you value people? How do you rank them? I have a professor at the seminary, and one of the things she said that I thought was very interesting was um, when people ask her what she does, she just says, oh, I do nothing. Because she got so tired of people always having to shuffle her into a category. And a lot of times we're just trying to make conversation, right? We're not really being um, ill-willed when we say, hey, what do you do for a living? You know, but we're just, just trying to make conversation. But subconsciously, I think we do. We want to shuffle people into a category so we know where to put them on our scale of things. How much money do you make? What kind of a job do you have? Oh, you're a doctor? I'll probably put you up here. Oh, you're a garbage guy? I'll probably put you down here. You're a youth pastor? I'll probably put you way down here. That's what I used to do. You know, how do you rank people? How do you value them? The Apostle Paul says we should have one category for people that is just above us. Just above us. Not idolizing them, but just putting everybody in this category. And if you label the category, you type A people, you just say, okay, this category is called P 
People made in the image of God for whom Christ died. And that's everybody. Rich, poor, young, old, gifted or not, whatever. You put everybody in this category. And you put yourself just below it so that you're in the right posture now to serve them. That's what Paul's saying here. Consider everybody else above yourself. What sort of people are you above? What sorts of people would you not want to serve? What sorts of people uh, do you think are above you? Because chances are, if you're serving them, you're probably doing it out of ulterior motives, right? We rank people above ourselves and we say, oh, I'll serve them. Something in it for me. I'll get a kickback from that. How do you value people? Do you put them in categories and, and serve them because of something that you can get? Or do you just put people up here because that puts you in the right posture where you can be a servant like Jesus? Because that's what he did, friends. He put our needs above his. He valued our lives above his own. He came and died and suffered in our place. It's incredible. The God of the universe did this for us. Okay, so Paul says in humility, consider others better than yourself. Verse 4, he says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, we're very good at looking out for our own interests. And we have to do that, right? We've got to take care of our stuff, our finances, our families. And that word interest there is just kind of a filler. It just means you could plug just about anything in there. Look not only to after your own finances, health, property, family, education, happiness, but also look to the finances, health, property, family, education, happiness of others. And that's our real problem, right? We usually don't struggle too much to look after our own stuff. But we struggle to prioritize off of ourselves and to look at how we can care for the needs of others. Do you look at the needs of others? How are you looking out for the needs of other people in this body of believers? Not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people in here that have needs. How are you looking out to the interests of those people in your uh, neighborhood where you live? Are you only in your little house? You press the garage door button and you drive in and then you press it again and that's all people ever see of you? Or are you out looking at the needs of other people? Man, I'm guilty in that. I'm guilty. I don't even know the needs of my neighbors. Sadly. By the grace of God, I pray that I will. How are you looking out for the needs of people in this neighborhood around our church? Are you wanting to take care of them? Are you wanting to look out for some of their interests and not just your own? See, I believe Paul tells us this because when we do this, we start to develop humility. We start to actually look out instead of so self-focused. We start to look to the needs of others. And so Paul gets to this point after verse 4, and he's given us these hard words in in, in verse 3 and 4, and then he's going to give us the reason. He's going to give us the ability, the motivation, and the perfect example of how to live all this out. He's not going to just say, okay, just go do this in your own strength. He gives us Jesus. Jesus is the perfect, humble servant. And friends, we don't humble and serve because it's going to make us more righteous or it's going to make us better or nicer people. We do it because in Christ we already are and we love Him and we're thankful for what He did and because Jesus was a servant. That's how we can do it. Because He's now given us His Holy Spirit now that we are in Him and His Holy Spirit is constantly working on us, prying on our hearts, making us more like Jesus. Now that should encourage you. 
That once you, are, once you have given your life to Jesus Christ, He's given you His Holy Spirit, who now is a servant maker, because Jesus was a servant. So He is making you, forming you, to be more like a servant. And friends, if you are not growing in servanthood, you're not moving towards Jesus. That's the sad truth. If you look at your life and you say, okay, over the past five years, I've become more selfish and more prideful. Well, that tells me that you're moving the opposite direction of Jesus. It's either Jesus or it's pride and selfishness. You're sliding one way or the other. You're never static. You never just stay the same. You're either moving one way or the other in this life. And Christianity is the call to come over here with Jesus. That means you're a servant. Period. You don't get to say, I'll take my Christianity over here and I'll just keep this pride and selfishness. That's all right, right? Mm -mm. It's either Jesus and servanthood or pride and selfishness. It requires us to make a choice. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, that means I'm going to take a new identity. I'm going to lay down my status, my pride, my uh, former identity. I'm going to lay down everything that I used to think made me great. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, everything that I was, I consider it rubbish. I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Give it all up to be a servant. Serving doesn't save us, obviously, friends, but it gives evidence that He lives in us. The servant God lives in us. When we serve, people say, hey, they're the legitimate deal. They're like Jesus. Of course, not in every way, and of course, not perfectly. I'm not saying that. But it gives evidence that something has happened in us. That the God of ages, who is a servant, has come and has inhabited our bodies and he's making a difference. Are you moving towards servanthood or are you moving towards pride and selfishness? Let's look at verse 5. This is where Paul introduces Jesus. Your attitude should be the same of that as Christ. Another translation says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he says, have the mind of Christ. How do you do that? Well, he gives you that as a gift. But it takes constant renewal, as it says in Romans, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. You constantly have to say, no, stupid self, you're not going to be selfish and prideful today. We're going to move towards Jesus. No, we're not going to focus on ourselves all the time. We're not going to only look at our own interests. We're going to look to Jesus. He's going to point us to look to other people. It takes constantly rewiring, constantly turning from the self and turning and looking towards Jesus. And verses 6 through 11 are going to give us um, a little V. Like Nathan said in the second week of the discipleship class, um, the Apostles' Creed is written in the form of a V. Christ's humiliation, his downward mobility from the th- his throne in heaven all the way down to his humble crucifixion, his cursed death on a cross, and then his death, burial, and then his resurrection. I'm going to talk about the downward part of the V, and Pastor Bill's got all the good news next week. All right? So you get to follow Jesus down this V and up the other side. As being attached to Him, as a humble servant, you will have to go low. And nobody went lower than Jesus, suffering hell for you. I want you to know that. So He's not asking you to do something He hasn't already done to the infinite degree. But also, Jesus isn't going to stay a humble servant. You'll hear about that next week. And you won't either. It's short term. Verses 6 through 11, let's walk through these. Jesus, who being in very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Fascinating when you compare the first Adam in the Garden of Eden to the last Adam, Jesus, in places like Romans and 1 Corinthians. 
The first Adam wanted to be God, and so he ate an apple. He said, I want to be like God myself. He grasped at being God. The last Adam, Jesus, was God, and he said, no big deal. I'll become a man. I'll become a man. Verse 7 says, he made himself nothing. Another translation says, he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus emptied himself of all his riches. He emptied himself of all his glory, all his honor, everything that was rightfully his except for his deity, except for the fact that he still was God when he came to earth to be a man. He gave it all up to take upon himself the nature of a servant, to be a humble servant. He emptied himself. I'm wondering today, what is God calling you to empty yourself of? What is He calling you to lay down, to be a humble servant like Jesus? Is it your pride? Is it your status? Is it your reputation? What if I give this up? What if I don't wear the nicest clothes anymore? What are people going to think of me? They won't think of me as Mr. GQ anymore. What if I don't have the nicest car anymore? People won't know me as the guy that drives the Lamborghini around Sioux Falls. What are you willing to give up? What is God saying? You need to give this up. Because this is blocking your ability to be a humble servant. Is it your money? Is it your your bank account? That's saying, hey, this is is how I know I'm above other people. It's because I got so much more money than them. Is it your stuff? Jesus emptied out all his riches. Corinthians says, for our sake, he became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor. What's God calling you to give up? Verse 8, so here we have Jesus in the likeness of a servant. It says, being made in human likeness, end of verse 7. It goes into verse 8, this is where we'll end. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. As if becoming a man from God was not humility enough, he humbled himself again and became obedient. Remember that word, obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' downward mobility is almost complete. He's left his throne in heaven. He's become a man, born in a little barn, in a stable. He doesn't have a kingly birth. He has a really humble birth around cows and chickens. And then, if that wasn't enough, he lives a very humble life as a carpenter's kid, you know, making tables and stuff. And then if that wasn't enough, he's got unhelpful friends who betray him in the end. If that wasn't enough, he's crucified a, a thief's death on a cross, an accursed death. If that wasn't enough, he has to suffer the punishment of hell. The sin of all people is placed on him. He's humbled to the greatest degree. He couldn't go any lower. He became obedient as a servant. Here's the point from verse 8, friends. Servants are obedient, period. They're just flat out obedient. And this is why I think that our idea of servanthood in the Western church has really gotten messed up because we even have pride and selfishness running all around in our idea of what it means to serve. Because we tell God, sure, God, I'll serve, but just not that. I won't do that. And I get the gifting thing, right? I get all that. And we want people to operate in their gifts. But a lot of times we go to God and we say, "I, I will serve you, God, but just not these things, this, 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 and this. And we say, God, I'll serve you, but hey, look, I took a personality test a while ago and I came out, I'm a J-E-R-K, and that means I don't serve anybody. <laughs> right? Serving is not a spiritual gift. 
It's not a personality thing. Serving means you love Jesus and you're attached to Him and you want to be like Him. It's not a spiritual gift. It means all of us, all of us. It means if you're a Christian, you come over here in the camp of humble servant. Period. You don't get to keep your pride. You don't get to keep your selfishness. You don't get to say, this is what I will do and this is what I won't do. We don't see Jesus saying, Father, please, a stable? I'm not going to be born in a stable. I'm a king. Don't you remember who I am? He says, okay. Father, please, these unhelpful disciples, couldn't you give me some competent men? Please. Couldn't you give me some guys that are going to stick with me? Please, Father, a death on a cross? That's the cursed death. Haven't you read Deuteronomy? No. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did the Father's will. He became obedient. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? I remember when the Holy Spirit really started speaking to me about this several months ago. Um, Liv got really sick. And uh, she got sick in the middle of the night. And those of you who are parents know how this goes. You're, you're in a really deep sleep. And then all of a sudden you hear footprint, foot, you know, foot pounding on this. Uh, and Liv's room is way on the other side of the house. So she's running over. And then I hear like some gurgling sounds. And you just start to come out of it. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? pounding of feet and gurgling sounds. And then I vaguely see her. She looks like a ghost. I'm like, what's running towards me? And then there's stuff kind of coming out a little bit. And I'm like, what is... Oh, no! And I just jump out of bed and I look for a garbage can. I look for a shirt or something. And finally I just go, oh, live! I just catch you with my hands. And we spend the next, like, two hours cleaning up puke. And there I am in the middle of the night and we were up for so long and she, she repeated the process a couple times and I'm down on my knees and I'm just grumbling. I'm just like, oh, I've got lots to do tomorrow and I'm so tired and here I am cleaning up puke and God, we don't need this right now. I felt the Holy Spirit just stronger than ever say to me, if Jesus was in your family, this is where he'd be. He'd be on his knees cleaning up puke. And I'm like, oh, sometimes I hate following you, Jesus. You know? It's messy. It sucks. I know there's a couple in the church that clean the toilets every week. And I would never mention their names because they would hate that. But I really appreciate it about them that they don't say, hey, there's some jobs that are just too low for us. Please, come on, give us something else to do. Give us, give us a good job. Give us a job like you have where you're up in front of people and they give you praise and sometimes criticism, which is fine. But this is a glorious job as, as a person working in the church. I admit that. I'm, I'm preaching to people who don't have as glorious of a job as I do in the church. That's humbling to admit. To say, I have probably the most glorious job, along with Pastor Bill, it's a great privilege for me to teach the Bible to you, and it's very exciting for me. Not as exciting to clean toilets. But will I do that? I have to be willing to. If the Holy Spirit says, you need to clean toilets, then I need to say, yes, I'm obedient. I'm a servant, just like the rest of you. Nobody in this body is bigger or better than anyone else. We're on the same plane. Called to be humble servants. What are you too good for? Are you always controlling when and where and how you serve? Saying, God, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Because that's what I like. That's really cool. That makes me feel good. But I won't do this, this, and this, and this. How are you controlling the ways in which you serve? Will you clean toilets? Clean up puke? How are you serving in the lowest places in your job. Taking the things, 
doing the things that nobody will do, or do you say, no, I'm kind of, I'm the senior executive. And I get it. Not everybody's going to have to do the lowest job. Sometimes it's humbling to be the guy that doesn't have to do those things, right? But would you be willing to do them? If there's a need, if you see something that needs to be done, will you take out the trash? How are you serving in the lowest areas at home? Do you always make your spouse do the dirty work? Now, that's too low for me. Convicting, the Holy Spirit's convicting us to be like Jesus. So what will it be for you, friends? Will you answer the call of Jesus to become a humble servant? I want to ask a few questions as we close here, just to further and finalize the examination. Some specific questions for you that I believe the Holy Spirit was giving to me and asking me this week. Single people. How are you selfish? Are you spending your time, talent, and treasures? This goes for all of us, but single people especially. You have the most amazing ability right now in this time of your life to give time, talent, treasures to Jesus, to the advancement of his kingdom. The Apostle Paul even says that. You have more ability than those people who are married with children. How are you doing that right now? How are you giving up of yourself? If you're single and you aspire to be married, how are you preparing to serve your spouse? To love and serve your spouse. This is a big weakness for me. Everybody, you know, that's single, most of you probably have a list of things that you want in a future spouse. It's not bad. But, you know, if you think about it, what it says is, this is how somebody is going to serve me. This is how somebody is going to finally meet up to my standards. And hey, I'll advertise it out there. If you're lucky enough to meet my list of a hundred things, then ding, ding, you're the winner. You get to marry me. (laughs) It's kind of what it says, isn't it? If you can, if you can, good luck, but if you can, you know, meet up to these criteria, then you get to marry me. Aren't you blessed? I think you should have two lists, actually, according to the Bible. You should have a list of things that you want in a spouse. That's cool. But you should also have a list of all the ways that you're going to love and serve your spouse. How you're going to lay down your life for them, because that's what marriage is. It's laying down your life, choosing to love and serve another sinner. All right? If you're married, how are you serving in your marriage? Uh Uh-oh. How are you loving your spouse? How are you putting their needs above your own? This is really hard because our spouse is the first person that we take advantage of. The closest person to us. The first person that we say, I want them to serve me. Hey, I got into this marriage to be served. Didn't we? We all did. We all got fooled. (laughs) Right? God's messing with all of us. How are you loving and serving your spouse? How are you laying your life down? How are you representing Christ to them? How are you asking yourself these questions? Am I I living Christ-like towards my spouse? Am I serving them? How are you serving at your job? Do you think you're better than other people? Do you think because you have a higher position than other people, you look down on them? Are there those things that you just won't do at your company because you're like, no, 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 That's, that's not for me. Are you stewarding your time there wisely? You spend a lot of time on the internet, goofing around, misusing the time there? Or do you humbly serve your boss as Christ would, diligently? How are you serving at your job? You take it for granted? This is a crappy job anyway. Or are you a humble servant that's willing to do anything? How are you serving your community and your neighbors? This is a, this is a big one that really convicted me. I've been in my house for a year. I only know one of my neighbors sad, I know. Praying for God's grace to change that. 
But are you going around meeting your neighbors saying, how, we'd like, we'd like to love and bless you guys. If you ever need anything, stop by. Our house is right there. We've got extra milk, extra eggs, whatever you need. Um, we'll watch your kids or whatever. How are you being a blessing in the neighborhood, the community around you? How are you representing Christ to that community? Is your life too busy, too important? That's what I always tell myself. I'm just too busy right now. Sort of saying, I'm too important for you, neighbors. Too, I'm too much of a big shot. My life's really important. Too important to talk to you. How are you serving each other at this church? We're going to come up with a few things throughout this series of ways where you can better serve and meet needs in this church body. It's one of the things we overlook a lot of times as a missional church. We're so focused on reaching out that we forget about caring for the body, forget about caring for each other. The Bible says that's how they'll know that we are Christians, by our love for one another. How are you serving each other in this body? Are you too good for things in this church? Are you too good to serve certain people in this church? Are you too good for certain jobs in this church? What will the Holy Spirit tell you to do, and how will you respond? How about serving in this neighborhood? Are you too good for this neighborhood? This neighborhood doesn't have a tremendous reputation. I don't know if any of you know that. Um, some, some people think that this neighborhood is a tougher neighborhood. And some of the things in history have shown that. There's, there's tougher things about it. There's challenges about it. If you live in a different neighborhood of town, uh, maybe a more wealthy one, are you too good for this neighborhood? Or does God need to humble you and strip you of your pride so that you can serve anybody? He's called us to reach this neighborhood first. And the Great Commission says to start in your Jerusalem and move out from there. So we're starting right here in this neighborhood, moving out from there. How are you loving and serving in this neighborhood? How are you serving the most needy around the world? Um, this is something that Jenny and I are, are, of course, passionate about, but I think all of us need to be passionate about this because m- much of the world doesn't live even close to how we live. <coughs> You talk about women that are pregnant with five kids and have to walk six hours a day just to get water. How are you serving and loving these people and looking out for the interests of other people, not just your own interests? How are you taking care of them, saying, hey, I have a lot? And finally, then you start to become a person with some humility because you're looking at the needs of others. You're looking to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I just want to be a blessing. I just want to be like you. I just want to love and serve others. How are you looking out? for the needs of other people around the world. Do you think their needs are less important than yours? It's really challenged me. Do I think it's less important that a five-year-old died of tuberculosis while we were in Swaziland? One of the kids in our community died of tuberculosis while we were there. Mother lost her five-year-old son. TB, preventable disease. It's eradicated in the States. Do we think that life was less valuable than ours? Come on, people. We've got to get rid of our pride and our selfishness. In our pride and our selfishness, we say, well, that would be a big deal. My daughter's five. But over there, it happens all the time, right? It's just as big of a deal to God. And remember that five-year-old's right up here. He's above you. He's in the category called others. Friends, I know this is a hard word, but I think hard words produce soft people. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to be, soft, tender people who are humble servants. I hope I don't come across mad at you because I'm right here with you. I'm not saying I used to be like this, selfish and prideful. Now I'm a humble servant. I'm saying I'm now more aware of it. And that's about it. I'm more aware of my selfishness and pride and I want to move there with you. What will you say today? Will you follow this Jesus, this God who was a servant?
Let me pray for you, and then we'll bring up Pastor Bill. Heavenly Father, we just love you today. We thank you for giving us Jesus as the perfect model of a humble servant. We are amazed when we look into your scriptures and we find how much, how low he was willing to go, how much he was willing to give for us. And yet, we're ashamed when we look at how little we're willing to give for him, to become like him. We're ashamed when we look at our pride and our selfishness. So help us not to be shamed today, Holy Spirit, but help us to be uh, humbled and motivated by your grace and your extravagant love for us to move towards Jesus. Not to move towards being more religious and trying harder in our flesh, but to move towards looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Him, and allowing His Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. We love you today, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.